here for it. I might, I might jump in and start. So I want to know, like, what was the first big name you got that you designed something for? And I want to know, did it actually, like, propel your brand forward as much as people, like, think getting a big name propels your brand forward? Interesting. I think, yeah, the, the first big name that ever wore something, I think it was Chris Brown. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think I, um, I had designed a t-shirt before I ever did bags. I was doing like t-shirts for myself. Like I got into ready wear because I wanted to make things for myself that I couldn't find. So I started to make myself like these boxy extended t-shirts. Yeah. And I was on a video shoot with Chris Brown, August Alcina and DJ Khaled. <laughs> I think it was in 2012, maybe 2013. And, um, Chris Brown saw the t-shirt that I had on. He was like, where'd you get that shirt? I was like, I made it. He was like, you made this? I said, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he was like, I need one. And I made him a shirt. And he ended up wearing it to the, um, I think he wore it to the American Music Awards. And then I ended up doing that same shirt for Drake. Um, I also did a shirt for all, I had did some shit, some um, shirts for August. I was made for, uh, yeah, August Alcina. Yeah. Um, and I think those were like my first major placements back in the day. I did have a t-shirt brand and I don't, um, Jason Weaver would always buy like shirts off me. Um, yeah. Jason Weaver played in ATL. He played uh, Michael Jackson in the Jackson five movie. So I, when I did my first t-shirt line back in like 2010, he would buy t-shirts from me. Um, but that was more like a screen print business. It wasn't cutting. So, yeah. Hmm. Do you think it propelled your business forward? Like how these how these influencers and stuff think like getting a big name will, will boost your business really far forward? Or do you reckon quality is just still key? I think it's definitely good for the brand. I don't know if it uh I can say this. I've had I've had a celebrity wear my stuff and I sell 50 of them, and I've had a celebrity wear my stuff and nobody's mm. it hasn't had any impact as far as sales. Um yeah. I do think that celebrities do have like a type of influence over consumers. Yeah. So sometimes it's like, uh, you know, if Chris Brown wears it, you can then use that as a marketing tool mm. to, to kind of promote the brand yourself. But yeah. I think there's this illusion that like if Chris Brown wears it, you're out of here. Like yeah. After that, you take off. And that's not necessarily the case. A lot of times if you're doing what you're supposed to do, then celebrities will see it and then celebrities will wear it. And then it just creates like a, a ripple effect. Mm. But I think it's like, if you have a brand and you get, you know, a celebrity to wear it, it doesn't mean that the brand is going to sell or sell out at all. Yeah. I think if, if you have a good product and it catches the attention of a celebrity it's probably catching the attention of like multiple people. And then it'll start to like matriculate into sales yeah. yeah so it's more exposure than actually converting to sales essentially right yeah i think and, and what happens is let's say you are a follower of a celebrity and you don't know who i am and then you see the celebrity wearing my stuff for you it creates the illusion that oh i didn't exist before that celebrity mm. wore, but that's only in your from your perspective you understand mm. what i'm saying yeah. like uh people who have followed my journey, have watched the journey that I've been on since 2010. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But if you started following me a week ago because you saw your favorite celebrity wearing it and you're, from your perspective, it's like, oh, he blew up after this yeah. person wore it. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's not actually the case most of the time. 
Do you get that a lot? Do you get a lot of people assuming because people were wearing your, your stuff that you blew up that way without hard work? Um, nah, I think because a lot of my followers follow me on social media, I feel like it's always a large percentage of people who've been along for the journey. Mm. Like it, it kind of like, you know, it goes from, you know, when you had 30,000 for six months and then it went to 50,000 and 70,000. So I think the majority of the followers have been along for the ride. Yeah. Um, and it, it just grows. But I think because they're following on social media, they get to always go back. So it is a, a part where if, you know, they see, you know, Javante Davis wearing some boxing gloves, mm. then they end up on my page and then they go and see things I've been doing for the last, you know, four or five years. Mm. yeah so it's, it's a little bit of both it's a little bit of both because i do get people that's like man after such and stuff where your stuff you really took off mm. it's not the case though. A, a lot of yeah because like, yeah, it was like i went hard for three years before anybody wore anything yeah you know Did the hard it's the, for me it's the same thing with, with cutting up louis vuitton like a lot of people think that my that i blew up cutting louis vuitton but you know, four years ago, I was already making stuff for Young Thug and Chris Brown and Met Metro Boomin and Future and 21 Savage. And I wasn't even cutting up Louis Vuitton. I was just making custom leather goods. That is sick. Wow. That's unreal. Yeah, I think cutting up the Louis Vuitton just started probably 20 mid to late 2018. And I've yeah. been doing custom since 2016. Active. Yeah, so a lot of people don't quite know the full extent of it. Right. Yeah, that's cool. What are you? What are your thoughts on style versus fashion? On what? What are your thoughts on like style versus like actual fashion? I think for, for me, I think fashion is like an industry. Yeah. And, and style is like for me, fashion is like the NBA, and style is like basketball overall. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like the fashion industry keeps track of everything. If you create. Like fashion is how we ex express ourselves. Like fashion is like an art form, right? So yeah. it's like if I create something that it may or may not have existed before, but if I create something or drop something in a moment that it, it impacts like the fashion industry, um, I feel like that's fashion. Style is more of like a personal thing. Mm. So let's say like, uh, you know, nobody ever wore a bulletproof vest on the runway. Yeah. And I drop under my brand of, it's like in 2018, Sharon Barber put a bulletproof vest on the runway. And then after that, you saw a lot of people be getting aware of bulletproof vests, different versions of bulletproof vests. I would say like that's the fashion industry, like keeping track of what it is that I created and how it was introduced to the world and how it impacted the world. Yeah. Style is seeing that bulletproof vest and saying like, oh, that's cool. I found my own version of it or I found a different um, ideation of it. And this is how I'm going to incorporate it into how I dress. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, if we look at like a brand and we look at like the, uh, like the, if we look at like, I'm trying to think of how to articulate it. Like if you look at like Rick Owens, right? Like Rick Owens created like this aesthetic. It's like a certain fit pant, a certain fit shirt is all black. Yeah. So in fashion, that look is a Rick Owens look. Yeah. Right. So Rick Owens has coined that look. We respect Rick Owens for that look. And a person that's in the fashion will go back and tell you like Rick, you know, Rick Owens or other creatives have made this look popular or famous. Yeah. 
Now, a person may not, may or may not know who Rick Owens is, but they may see that look and be like, oh, I like that. And they may go buy just any black shirt, any black pants and emulate that style. Uh, okay, you understand makes what I'm saying? Yeah, so Rick Owens, sense. what he's created is like the fashion of it, but extracting that and just incorporating that look into it's your style. personal style is more or less the style of it. If that makes um, sense. Yeah. That's so good. I like it. And, and just to, to add on to that, what do you think about sustainability in fashion? I think sustainability is extremely important, right? And mm. I, I really have these moments where I, I think about it and I'm like, a lot of the brands are using the idea that they're being sustainable as a marketing ploy and is, is really messed up because it's I think like 10% of like the world's issues as far as like um, global warming is produced by the fashion industry, right? So if you look, like, okay, let's say I make a bag, right? Something as simple as a bag. So let's say I'm producing this bag in LA. So it's a leather bag coming from LA, right? Hmm. So let's say the leather is coming from Italy, right? So they... They have a whole farming situation where they're farming animals using that skin to make the leather. That leather is then shipped. You know, all that stuff happens with the animal. And then the leather is then, you know, taken from the animal, however it's taken from the animal. Yeah. And then that's shipped to the U.S. That leather then has to be tanned. It has to be dyed. So those chemicals come from a whole nother continent. And then it goes to like a tannery. Then I get that leather. I'm now um, breaking that leather down, cutting it and doing what I'm doing with the leather. Then we have the hardware, right? So the metal that's used to make the hardware is being mined in Africa, whether it's like zinc or alloy or zinc alloy. So that metal is getting mined in Africa. It has to be driven across Africa to a dock in Africa, where it's then shipped to China or Italy. And then from there, they take that metal, they heat it up and they, you know, they create molds mm. And, that, and then they create the actual hardware. And then that hardware is then shipped to a third party who's then going to sell it to me. So then I take the hardware, I take the leather good, I turn it into a product. I didn't sell that product to a retailer, so I have to ship it to the retailer. And then once the retailer has it, they have it at a distribution center and maybe they distribute it to the actual location. And then once a consumer buys it, it gets moved again, right? So when you just think about the footprint of everything that took place- That is crazy. To just make a single thing, it's really like terrible, you know, for the planet. And I think, I think all designers, we all have to be conscious. And I think it's just not fashion, it's every industry. We have to really be conscious of like what we're selling, why we're selling it, do we need it? Um, and really figure out ways. I think this is why it's good to try to, uh, create like sustainable business models, like sourcing locally, Yeah, you know, trying to do local manufacturing. But even when you do local manufacturing, it goes back into those products. Like, can we, um, you know, can we create the hardware locally? Yeah. Is the leather being farmed locally? You know, is the, is the, is it being tanned locally? Mm. You know what I'm saying? With, with garments is, is even crazier because sometimes the cotton is coming from one continent. Then the raw cotton is getting shipped to another continent. Jeez. Then it's getting turned into a, a textile on another continent, then the textile is getting shipped to another continent where it's getting turned into garments. Then it's getting shipped to another continent where it's getting, you know, sold as actual Such a long uh, merchandise. Process. Yeah, wow, Jesus. That's, that's insane. 
So I think I think um, I put a lot of thought into trying to figure out how to limit that as much as possible. Um, yeah. And it's crazy because I really feel like the solution is to sell less product. You know what I'm saying? Like we've created like an animal where a lot of these companies have huge. Is a lot of people who are, are being employed by these companies. So they have it's like you got to feed the beast. You know mm. what I'm saying? For me. That's why I'm like extremely thoughtful. I try to keep things extremely limited. I don't want to make a bunch of like stuff just to sell it. You know, yeah. I, I'm big on a person like appreciating the pieces I make. Uh, I want it to be that. That's really why I moved into leather goods. Cause I was like, I want to make things that a person will keep for a lifetime, 10 years, 100%. 20 years, 40 years. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to make a product that you wear twice. And then you like, oh, I'm done with it. I'm gonna get rid of it. You know, I feel like um, with leather goods, you'll keep a leather good for, like I said, 10 years, 20. If you have a nice Louis Vuitton bag, you never throw that in the trash. You nah. pass it down, you give it. Um, mm. So I think that's why um, when I'm making things, it's very important for me not to make cheap things, but to make things that are like art that'll last, that'll be a permanent fixture in someone's life. Um, that's versus awesome. something that they'll wear a few times and get rid of. But even with me, like I'm, I, I, it's still issues there for me as well. And I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to do better. Yeah. Wow, that's a really good insight. I never would have thought about it like that. I never thought that's about crazy. that in depth. Hey, that's crazy. Yeah. Just the product getting to you to be able to make the stuff. That's insane. Yeah, I think it's an issue with everything. Like everything that's manufactured is the way that the different elements get moved around to make an end product is really like doing a lot of harm to mm. the environment. So definitely. It's good that you're conscious about it though. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so really good. good. Well, yeah, not, I never try to market like being sustainable because I'm like, are you really sustainable or are you using that as a market employee mm. to pull in people who care? And I think it's not fair. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, we all got to try to do better and not not use that as a marketing tool. Um, no, I agree. That's good. Do you think like when you're when you're traveling, because you travel a lot, do you think when you travel so much, it has an impact on like the creative process for you? Or does it like, like is there a positive or a negative impact? I think is is a positive impact because when I'm when I'm different places like you see um like when I'm in Portugal or, or I'm in um, Istanbul they have like different processes that have been like gener taught generationally right so yeah. like when I was having issues with my manufacturers so I had a I was manufacturing everything in Los Angeles and I had probably like three sewers that were capable of sewing the things that I wanted to make. Um, and I would try to hire new people, but they didn't, they weren't trained. Mm. Right. And to train a sewer, it could, you know, to train a great sewer, like a master artisan, it could take 10 years, That's five years, crazy. 10 years. It's not something you just wow. teach somebody how to do overnight. So when I don't, when I'm looking like I'm getting more orders, I'm behind on orders. I need to hire new people. I have to find people who are capable of creating the actual product that I'm making. So it's really hard to find people in the U S that have like, uh, that are like leather workers, right? Because yeah. a lot of industry, the U S in a large way has been turned into like a country that's primarily just marketing products that are coming from other places. I feel like, mm. like yeah. uh, we're not producing or manufacturing anything, but when I travel to like Istanbul or I travel to um, different parts of Italy, like Tuscany, um, or Naples, or I'm in Portugal, you see that they actually have like a leather goods, um, it's like a heritage in leather goods. Like you meet people 
who not only are they making leather goods, but their father was making leather goods and taught them how to make leather goods and the grandfather. So a lot of these art forms have been preserved. So it's easier to um, find like people that can help you facilitate an idea. And people that right? care, so I guess. If I'm trying to make a nice leather shoe, I end up in the Marsh region of Italy because there they have like hundreds of mom and pop shoemakers who've been preserving the craft of how to hand make a shoe for the last, you know, hundred years. Mm. So when I'm traveling, I find things like this all over the world. Like I was in Senegal and I'm, I, um, they were still like creating, like it was like, um, like knitwear, but they were doing it by hand. They had these machines where they were actually like weaving knitwear by hand. And it's like these really like older techniques that's really cool to see mm. so then i incorporate that into like how i think or how i make things or i may buy textiles from there and then incorporate it into like a collection that's awesome and then style also like i'm somewhere and they they're wearing oversized crop pants i'm in japan a person has on like a different silhouette is like cropped i'm in america a person has on like more fitted denim i'm in london so you you just learn how those different styles help people um or how to how it applies to the terrain that they're living in. Yeah. And that gives you perspective when you're designing for that group of people. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. What, what, what made you like wanting to cut up like luxury brands like Louis Vuitton and stuff? Like what, what gave you the insight to do that? I think um, initially it wasn't something that I necessarily like wanted to do. Yeah. Um, when I first started, I met, I was making customs and I, I had did a custom for Rihanna. It was like a gator bag. I did, I had done like a, a snakeskin bag for Drake. I had done like a, a, a snakeskin bag for a young thug. And then I had a cl- client hit me and he said he wanted like a custom. He told me he was like a bag collector and he invited me to his house. And when he invited me to his house, um, I went in there and he was showing me all these bags he had. And then he was telling me that his mother had passed down um some of her bags but they were women's bags and he couldn't use them for anything and i was like yo right he was gonna do a gator bag i'm like rather than do a gator bag maybe i could cut up one of the bags that your mom gave you and turn it into my design so i could take her bag my design and make you a custom that's sick and he's like yo that'd be crazy and i did it but i never wanted to post it because i i was like it's not I didn't want people to think that I was customizing things. So I, I didn't yeah. want to post it. And I think where I started to take ownership is I realized like when I posted it, it went viral. Right. Mm. And I started to realize like, yo, this is no different than like hip hop It's no different than graffiti. It, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, some of the original hip hop, we would like sample the beat. Yeah. And then the MC would, like rap over a sample beat. But the essence of that is because, um, we had no no production equipment. So somebody else would make a beat, we'll sample our beat and then rap on it. Or with graffiti, you know, we can't get our work in a gallery for people to see it. So people would like bomb a train, mm. you know what I'm saying? So for me, I'm like, if I could get more notoriety by cutting up something that's not mine, almost like a form of plagiarism or um, it's almost like a rebellious act, right? Yeah. Like I'm gonna take something that's not mine I'm going to violate it and I'm going to do something creative to make it my own and I'm going to put it out for the world to see. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like the spirit of hip hop was there, you know? And I feel like it's, that runs concurrent just with, I think with, with, with American black culture, you know what I'm saying? Like even like taking something, reforming it and making something better out of it. Even if it's like collard greens or uh, chitlins, it's like I'm going to take something that's undesirable or unwanted because 
because I don't have it and I'm going to transform it into something beautiful that I, you know, I'm going to turn it into something else that I think is is cool. Yeah, so like that, that would that. be my approach with that. It's mind blowing. Like the, the I, thought process behind everything isn't like it's. You wouldn't. I never would have thought this that the thought process behind everything that you mm-hmm. say and has like a purpose behind it, not just like oh, I want to turn this bag into this to make money and blow up. Like you got a thought process and how you want to do it. It's, it is inspiring. It's mad. Like well done. Yeah, I think when when I started, it was cool because I could always like I never wanted to be a customizer. I always felt like I was a designer at heart. Probably even more than a designer, an engineer. Like I, when I make a garment, I'm always trying to like solve a problem, right? Mm. So I think when I made the first bag that I was really that people noticed was a chess rig. It wasn't a bulletproof vest, it was a chess rig. Mm. And the reason I created that bag is because I started making bags and leather goods. And because I was making things primarily for men, but I was making bags, it was really hard because men only carry like a duffel bag or a backpack. Mm. So let's say I made a bag for Drake or Floyd Mayweather, you'd never really seen them wearing it because of you know, they're not wearing backpacks or carrying duffel bags on a day-to-day basis. So I was like, I don't want to make bags that are just for travel. I want to make bags that are for everyday use, right? And a person who dresses well, maybe they carry a backpack, but most don't carry a duffel. That's more like I'm traveling. Yeah. So I was like, what's like an everyday bag for a man? So, you know, women carry purses. And I think if you look, you know, 2017, we just had that moment of like, oh, I'm a man, I'm not carrying a purse yeah. or a purse or just that weird area. So for me, I just wanted to create a bag that a man could carry without feeling like it was feminine. Mm. You know, and so it's like you play with the crossbody, you play with the fanny. I started to do small duffels and I would call it like a micro duffel <laughs> just because I thought that term was more, you know, a little more masculine. Yeah. And what happened is um, one day I was in the closet and I had a bulletproof vest in there and I had put the bulletproof vest on and I'm like, it'd be crazy if this was a bag. <laughs> so I like scaled it down and I made like a chest bag and it was cool. Cause I'm like, I felt masculine. I would, it was an extension of my outfit. It had like a pouch. I'm like, I can keep stuff in here. I can wear it while I'm driving. I'm hands free. I can wear it while I'm eating. Mm. If I have money in here or, or bud or whatever the case <laughs> may be, I could, it, it feels safe. Cause it's like in front of me. It's I can't on get you, yeah. pocket. It's different. And I was like, yo, this bag is going to be a hit. And um, that's how the first chest rig was born. I went to the shop and I, I made this scaled down bulletproof vest looking thing. And that's that's the bag that really like took off my career. The first person who wore it was um, Quavo from Migos. That's hectic. He was like, you made this? I was like, yeah. He was like, you made this? I said, yeah. And he <laughs> took a picture wearing it and he posted it on Instagram. He bought it off me. He ultimately bought it off me. Wow. And he posted a picture wearing it and um. The picture went by it went viral. That's, that's when you changed so your that, That's a moment where like that did have impact. Like uh it was just that design at that moment, it just it worked. Worked perfect. What was that like for you when you were designing that? Was that when you had finished it, was this something that you'd you'd felt like and you were like, ah, oh, like this is gonna do really well, or were you was it just like any other piece? No, nah, I knew it was special. I knew it was special. As soon as yeah. I made it, I knew it was special. Like the uh Cause before that, like I was doing like duffel bags, backpacks. I did like a small duffel bag, a small backpack, a fanny, a crossbody. But when I made this, I was like, "Yo, I just invented this. This is an invention. Like this, this is going down in history. 
Yeah, and I put it on, and when I put it on, I felt like a super like I. So I have this theory, right, that like men, a lot of us are like, we like kids inside, right? We mm. just want something that's gonna make us feel like cool. Like yeah. I remember being little and like putting on a cape and some boots and like jumping down five steps, and you <laughs> felt like a superhero. Or even like to this day, like I get in the car, I feel like Batman a little bit, you know, like a watch. <laughs> it's like uh, so. I, it gave me that same feel. It was like a gadget that you could wear, That's right? It, yeah. And, and I think guys like gadgets. We like cool stuff, right? So I yeah. was like, yo, I feel cool with this on. It gave me like an extra little bit of bravado. So I think when I when I seen how Quavo reacted when he put it on, he had that same look in his mm. eyes. He was like, he put it on and he said, I feel like Pac with this <laughs> shit. Wow. Right? He said, I feel like Pac with this shit on. Because he asked me, he said, yo, is that a bag or a vest? I said, it's like a bag vest. He said, bro, this is crazy. And he, I just seen how he looked when he put it on. He, It was a feeling, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, yeah, this is about to be crazy. And every person who I made one for had that same look. And I think that's why a lot of the artists, not only would they get it, but they would wear it on stage. Yeah, They would wear it like, it, it's a feeling. It's like a feeling that you get, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it's that same feeling of, you You know, you buy like a nice watch and you're around people who like watches and they look at your wrist and you're like, yeah, boy. <laughs> 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 but that cutting <laughs> uh, <laughs> right there, you know what that is. Yeah. So I think that feeling, you know, and I, when I had the feeling, I knew other people would have the feeling and that, you know, I knew it was special. That's it. Yeah. That's crazy. I love that. What a story, too, of like how that works mm. as well. That's so nice. Like, even now, like I, I, I um, I, I gauge off that now. Like when I get something and it makes me feel like a certain way, I'll be like, yeah, this is that feeling. It's like a hit record, you know. It's like yo, people going for crazy to do this. Hundred percent. So, what are some of the things that you're working on at the moment? So right now, I'm. I'm developing like a readywear collection and I'm building an atelier. Um, so that the atelier um, will be in, in, it's going to be based in Milan. Um, just because I feel like here, like I have access to like different level artisans yeah. that can like really, you know, get some of my ideas out. So I decided to, to build a studio here. So in February, I'm dropping a collection Um yeah, I'm dropping a collection in February. So that, that's probably the main thing that I'm working on right now is like product development and building out this new space. Yeah. That's exciting. That's sick. I'm looking forward to seeing some new pieces coming. Yeah. The, um, another thing that I did want to touch on was um, the name of your latest collection. I know that's like geographical like location. What, what can you tell me about that? So is, is geograph. I use geographical coordinates. I feel like we couldn't, when I was trying to name the collection, I couldn't come up with like a name. Um, and at that same moment, I was about to get a tattoo. I wanted to get a tattoo of the geographical coordinations of where I was, where I grew up at. Um, yeah. So I feel like I've, I'm from Camden, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey is one of the poorest cities in America is one of the most dangerous cities in America. It has one of the highest murder rates in America. Shit. So I was really born into like, you know, my mom made 65, my mom got government assistance of $6,500 a year. 
and she raised me, my brothers and sisters on that. that right? So insane. like, up like ultra poor, um, and so I, I grew up in that space. I lived in that environment till I was in my twenties, and then I started. You know, I, I did did a little bit to try to make ends meet when I was out there. A little bit of bullshit, and then yeah. you know, I end up in Atlanta. I end up in LA, and now it's like, you know, over the last four years, I've visited over seventy countries. So now I just have like this vast pr- perspective. Um, so when I'm designing things, sometimes like I'm not, I'm always trying to, what I'm going to tap into, right? Like I'm, I've been in Japan and I like their style, but it's like, do I want to use these Japanese aesthetics for this next collection? Because these, that may not resonate with you, or that may not resonate with people where I'm from. Yeah. So I feel like now that I'm doing ready where I'm like this first collection, I really want it to be, a. uh. I really want to incorporate the things that made me who I am. So I wanted to revisit my foundation. And my foundation is being from Camden, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey is on the East Coast. It's right between Philadelphia and New York. It's like a certain aesthetic. So it's a certain thing. Like when I look at how a pair of pants fits, like where I'm like, that's a perfect fit on a pair of pants. My take on that is a derivative of what I saw growing up, Mm. right? Like growing up watching hip hop. So when I see like a shirt, I'm like, that shirt fits perfect or that style is perfect. So I feel like because I learned that in the environment that I grew up in, I said, after all of this, I want to go back to my beginning point. And my beginning point is right here. So the, the geographical, actually the geographical coordinates of the house that I grew up in. Wow. So I, cool. I feel like it's, it's taking everything full circle. So it's like, uh, you know, I've been around the world. Now I'm ready to offer this collection to the world and the starting point for my first collection, I'm gonna use that geographical code because that's my starting point as a person and as a designer. And, you know, mate, yeah, see what I mean? Everything you do has got a story it. behind it. It's not just doing it for the money. It's fucking unreal, man. Well done. Yeah, I think. Yeah, bro, I think. I don't think anybody should do anything for money. Yeah. Like, and I, I know that sounds crazy because, like, you know, obviously people got to make a living. Mm. But I think, like. The first 30 years of my life, I did a lot to make money, right? Because it was like, I wanted things and the things cost money and it's like, I can make money doing this. And somehow, you know, I created like a covenant where I was like, yo, I'm going to, I'm no longer going to work to make money. I'm going to work to make history. I'm going to work to make a name for myself. And, and I like that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I shifted to a space where I was like, I don't want to waste any time doing anything that I'm not passionate about or that I don't think serves my ultimate purpose. And that's where, that's really where my life changed. And it took, it took about a year or two years to try to catch stuff. So it's like, I literally won't do something that doesn't serve my ultimate purpose. Now it doesn't matter what it is. Like somebody can call like, yo, you know, we'll give you 20 grand to do this. And it's like, nah, I'm good. It it don't, it doesn't, it doesn't fuel what I'm trying to do. Mm. And luckily now I'm at a point where like, uh, you know, I feel like you reach a point once you know what you want to do with your life. It is a. I realize now that I am who I am, and whether I make three hundred thousand dollars or three million dollars, I'm gonna pretty much be the same person and do the same things. You know, like it's like I'm gonna always eat these types of foods. I'm gonna always travel to these types of places. So I think I've reached a place of like not as rich as I, I could be or that I 
as I believe I, I will be, but I'm in a place where I'm financially free because money doesn't dictate how I'm going to do things or when I'm going to do things. That's mm. sick. You know? That's so cool. Well, yeah. I want you to run and a... I stand on that. There's times where I've been pretty much messed up in the game yeah. and I've still turned down money. Like, I'm good. I don't want to do that. I'd rather just, like, stand on that principle that I created for myself. Yeah. Stay humble, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Well, I want you to run us through the um the Pepsi deal. How did you get? Uh, did I read on your post correctly that you got them to change their logo just for your thing? You managed to work it out to change from the circle to, to your thing. Right. So I think um so network has been like a great partner to me. I've done like a bunch of collab. Network is like a marketplace, yeah. and um I've done some cool projects with network, and we've done some special drops on network. Um, so Pepsi was working with Network to create custom pieces to celebrate um, Pepsi's Dig-In program. Yep. And Pepsi's Dig-In program is an initiative started by Pepsi to put $100 million into Black-owned restaurants. Um, wow. So they, they, you know, they wanted to use a, a designer who made custom things. They, they asked me to come in and they wanted somebody who could, you know, create something cool, turn it around fast, who... You know, it was ideal that I was from the East Coast because um, I was working with a chef. His name is Chef JJ, really good guy. Yeah. And he has a restaurant in Harlem, New York. So when me and him talked, we really just hit it off. And Pepsi was like, you know, let's make this thing happen. So they really gave me like 100% control of creative. So I'm like, cool. So I'm, you know, JJ was like, yo, a knife bag would, would be fire. And I'm like, yo, I want to create a knife bag, but I don't want the knife bag I don't want this product to be only for chefs. Hmm. So I want to create an outer bag that can house the knife bag. So it was like a two piece bag. So if you have the knife bag, you can put it inside of the messenger bag. That's cool. Um, or you could take it out. So if you, if you were just going out for the night, you could take the knife bag out and just use it as a typical messenger bag. So I designed this bag. Um, and while I'm making it, I'm trying to figure out how to take this rectangular bag and put the Pepsi logo on there where it don't look corny. I'm like, I don't want it to look like we forcing a logo on here. Yeah. So I started kind of playing with the logo and I'm like, yo, it'll be cool. It looks cool. Rectangular. So I make the prototype. So I take the prototype on set when we was doing filming and everybody's like, Whoa, this bag is crazy. It's crazy. So, um, everybody loves it. Everybody's like, yo, this is fire. Cause I kind of like, you know, I don't know if you could put a picture up, but I, I kind of like, you, you know, I just use their swoosh, but switched it to something rectangular i didn't know it would be a problem so the woman from corporate comes in from pepsi like in the middle of the filming and she's just like this looks really good and she's just like i don't know if we'll be able to approve changing the logo from like a circle to a rectangle because you know there's a globe and and i was just like you know, and you know, when you got your brand identity, you have like brand rules, like you should never put the logo like this. You yeah. Should never yeah. Put the logo like this. this is the right swoosh. This is not the right swoosh. And I'm like, yo, I'm a vandal. What do you mean? I'm not here to listen. Like I shake shit up. It's like the, um, us shaking this up might be the reason that it sells out. Yeah. Um, so you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to approve. So like um, going back and forth, different phone calls, my manager, who's really good. He's like on the phone, like he really believes this is, is cool. And everybody else thought it was cool. And ultimately they approved it. I didn't think they were going to approve it. I had already done a second iteration 
that didn't, you know, that had the circle logo. And they, they was like, cool, we believe it. And um, yeah, they, they allowed me to, to, to change it. And it was like a cool moment for me. Cause I think about like when Travis Scott, what he did with the swoosh on Nike or, mm. you know, whenever you could, it, it's like getting a, a, you know, a billion dollar corporation to let me be creative to the point where I could break a rule that they <laughs> created. Um, it, for me, that's like a form of progression. Cause it's like, 100%. they're actually listening to what I think is cool creatively. Yeah. Um, and whenever you can get a billion dollar corporation to like, buy into like your idea like he said it's cool it's cool like you know I, I appreciate that so that that made that one of my favorite collaborations because of that that's and awesome. also like possibly one of the only people on the planet to do something like that literally <laughs> <laughs> it did good though i think the bag sold out um rather fast like the it did it did really good that's awesome that's insane i noticed on um one of your other collections that you did it was like a sort of motocross theme I wanted to know what the inspiration behind that was about. I think same thing, like how I grew up. Um, so I think like, if you look at like a lot of brands, like you have like a Fairfax kid, right? Who like, is like a huge um, skate culture. Like if you look at like Supreme, if you look at like uh, Dope, like a lot of the, a lot of the skate brands, you know, it's like a real culture behind it. Yeah. And then you also have brands that like, um, you know, like in the, in the 90s, like a lot of brands use like basketball almost like as a, so people wear like different jerseys or shorts yeah. or we wear basketball sneaks. And now you see a lot of the fashion brands, people wear like skateboard sneaks or it's like um, jeans and t-shirts. It's like a skateboard aesthetic. Yeah. For me growing up, like in my neighborhood, like we rode dirt bikes, right? So at a young, at a really young age, we rode like pedal bikes and then you get old enough, you buy like a dirt bike you know, that whole Rough Riders era. Yeah. And now you got like, uh, you know, the Uzis and the Meek Mills. I love seeing them on the dirt bikes because they from Philly. So being from Camden, we would like ride our dirt bikes to Philly. That's it. So for me, like riding dirt bikes in the neighborhood is really like a pastime that I grew up involved with. Um, you know, it could be two guys from different parts of the city that don't get along, but when they out like, riding dirt bikes, it's like everything is squashed. So mm. I think revisiting where I come from is like, we don't ride skateboards. We don't even play basketball that much anymore. So I really wanted to incorporate that into the aesthetic, right? I wanted to create things that like people could actually wear when they ride out. Yeah. Um, it also has a lot of influence over how I dress. I think when I was in high school, it was really cool to wear like ski goggles or dirt bike goggles. We wear like dirt bike shirts. Yeah. Like if you reference hip hop, like in the nineties, you'll see pictures of method man wearing like, you know, a pair of goggles with like a a bat, a football jersey or, a, yeah. you know, you, you just, so I think in different like pairs of like uh, football gloves with a football jersey with like goggles. So I think I just wanted to, to play with that idea. I've always, I actually collect goggles, which is like ultra random, but I have like yeah. Chanel goggles and goggles and Celine goggles. Wow. So I'm going to do like a cool just happen i feel like people have played with the idea but it's not the it's not like the core of anybody's creative process like you see a lot of these brands they'll make like a skate shoe and things for skaters so yeah. i just wanted to make stuff that you could ride in so when it comes to like the dirt bike pants dirt bike pants have like these they look really cool because like the color blocking and the 
the materials used, but they have like these weird shapes because they're made to like, you know, to wrap the bike when you're riding it. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember trying to buy dirt bike pants to wear as a part of my outfit, but the dirt bike pants would fit funny when I'm just like walking around or standing around. So I really wanted to create like a motocross inspired line work with like ready wear silhouettes. So it's like, it looks like dirt bike clothing, but it fits like streetwear. That's cool. Yeah. And then I wanted to obviously, you know, use elevated materials to create those things. So really taking it back to the roots of where you came from with a lot of it. Right. Yeah. And then in the campaign, like, um, we, you know, we used a lot of people who actually ride just to show like the functionality. And a lot of pieces are actually functional. Like the pants, like when you ride a dirt bike, um, you know, your leg is near the engine. Yeah. So like if you have one like, um, synthetic materials that can melt so we put like leather on the pant leg to to create like a, a barrier for the heat so it don't melt that's cool um elbow pads on a lot of the garments um face masks that you can wear under your helmet yeah so i think a lot of it um is cool aesthetically but it actually still has functionality as well that's sick. stylish and functional I well what do you feel like is someone like the keys to your success like some keys to success. One more time. What do you, what do you what do you feel are some of your keys to success? You said, "What do I feel?" Yeah. Is like what 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 do you think are some of the keys to success? Oh, the keys to success. Yeah. I think to me, um, keys to success. I think success, um, first of all, you have to figure out what success means for you. Yeah. Right. So I think success for some people, for most people, I ain't gonna say for most, but for a lot of people, we equate success to like a financial um, game, right? Like most people, they equate success to like finance. Uh, I think figure out, figure out what you want to accomplish in your life, right? Yeah. Like I want, when I die, I want people to say this about me. When I die, I want people to, like when people say this is Sharon Barber, he was a great guy. He did this in his lifetime, right? So for me, that's how I've come up with what success is for me. So, so now with that is success is like, am I accomplishing that? Am I on a straight path to get there? Am yeah. I being derailed? Am I being deterred? So I think with, with the keys to success are to stay focused, to always remember why you started to, to never get derailed. Yeah. You know, there's always moments where you want to give up, but try to just never give up. Just, you know, you, even if you give up for the day, like I'm done for the day, wake up the next day and try to, you know, if you could push something just 1% a week, yeah, then in two years you can achieve your goal. You Me know too. what I'm saying? So I think, I think that's the, probably the most important key to success for me is to just never give up. Yeah. You know, like, uh, yeah, I would say that's it. Keep your word. Try to be honorable. Yeah. As honorable as you can be. You know, sometimes it's, we get put in situations where you're like, man, I don't know what I should do. But just, you know, try to keep your word. Try to stand by your word. Yeah. Try to be try to be a good human being. Help others. 100%. I think, to me, I'm at a point now where that's been included in what I consider success. is like uh, how much I can help others. Mm. You know, mm. like that. 
that's important to me. When I'm when I reach a point where I'm like I'm in a good space and I can go back and help others, like I feel successful because of that. So I think, um, yeah, success it, it changes slightly. You know, yeah. As you get older, you become more mature. You start to gain more wisdom, and your your perspective on what success is might change. You that's know? smart. That's good. I didn't know my ultimate goal until I was probably 35 years old. I was like, I'm a 34. I was I'm a focus on this. This is yeah. my goal that's awesome most of what you see me doing now i've been able to accomplish and i've been on a path for a long time but the last five years has been real been very um i just been focused yeah yeah i'll go to any length like i'm i'm in milan right now last year i spent i spent 14 months in turkey building out a manufacturing um, facility I'm now in Milan trying to build out an atelier like slash headquarters. And in that process, like I've slept in the car, I've slept out with money, I slept yeah. outside, just just anything to get the job done. Like I'm not gonna yeah. not get the job done. That's so. awesome. Yeah, wow. And and just to add on that, what what sort of advice would you give to up and coming designers and entrepreneurs? I would say tying into that last question just don't give up. Like, I think when we see a successful person, we, we look and we say like, oh, this person is successful. And we usually think a person is successful because we're looking at a victory. Like we've seen them be victorious in like one regard or one aspect or in one scenario. But most winners lose more than they win. Mm. Like you can lose 999 times. On that thousandth time, if you win, that's what people remember. That's what people talk about. They don't, they don't see the failures. They only see the win, you know, and it's, I think, um, so just never give up. You don't lose until you, you decide to stop trying, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, yeah. Like once you stop trying, it's like, yeah, you lost, you know? And most people, the fight gets knocked out of them at some point. It might get knocked out of you when you're 20, when you're 25, when you're 30, you know, you get some people like, I what's the movie. Um, about the founders. I think it's called founder of McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was in his late sixties when he, when something finally hit for him, you know what I'm saying? Like if you don't stop, I think at some point you, it will hit for you. If you don't stop and you're relentless in your pursuit at some point, Just keep going. So that's probably the most important piece of advice that I can give. And then inside of that, um, cause the more you try, the more you figure out different angles. Right. And for me, I think try to be original, figure out as a, as a designer of anything, like um, figure out things that people need, you know, like it could be a couch. I'm sitting on a couch and I'm like, man, I wish this couch was like this. If you wish the couch was like that, it's probably a million other people who thought the couch was like that. So if you take the time to create a solution that solves a problem, yeah, there's a market for you. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's why most of what I do is like solution driven design. Yep. I'm always trying to figure it could be the most simple thing, like the most simple thing. If you figure out a solution is other people who have the same problem and that solution can help those people. So I think that that's a part of like my design theory. Um, and then just be, you know, have integrity, stay, stay true to whatever it is that you believe in. You know? Yeah. That's smart. That's good because yeah, that's a lot a of people answer. need to dream bigger. I like that. 100%. Well, touching on that, I want to touch on a new, um, the new digital space. So 
you obviously seen like the metaverse and all the stuff going around that's going around at the moment. Have you already thought ahead in terms of are you going to design fashion pieces for like in, 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 the, in the form of NFTs or VR or stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. funny because I've been fascinated with uh, technology inside of inside of garments and just inside of life probably like the last eight years. Yeah. Um, and I think reality is finally catching up to some of the stuff I've talked about um, with my team. Um, and then that's that's the space I want to play in now requires like a little bit more of a budget. But I think. Um, yeah, like our next collection, like if you look at our last collection, I created garments where if you scan it is a QR code. It opens up the website. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the top of our website, I tried, and this was based with limited resources. Um, I tried to put something, and it's been like this for four years now. It's basically a person and they have on the collection and when you hover over them, they spin. Yeah, so I'm saying that. Like, I think ultimately I want to create um, pieces that you could buy digitally. Like, uh, so let's say you buy one of my chess rigs. You would get the physical chess rig. You would also get an NFT of the chess rig. There you go. You know what I'm saying? Ah. That, that NFT of the chess rig would um, be able to live in like a virtual space. Um, so some of we, I don't want to go into it too much. I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm always open to share ideas, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff that we're working on right now that'll yeah. drop with this next collection. Um, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. Like, I'm a, I love technology. I know some people are like, ah, oh, technology. I feel like you got to um, be balanced. I'm excited to see some of this technology, like, implemented and used, like, in a real way. Um, and I also think that, you know that, like, uh, I think, I don't want to just throw a number out there. When I want to say, like, over the last five years, the reason a lot of these businesses are going out of, like, retailers clothing retailers are going out of businesses because of the, the return rate yeah like a lot of people are buying clothes and returning them and the reason a lot of people are buying clothes and returning them is because people buy clothes they take pictures they post their pictures on social media and then they return the clothes yeah um and i think we we had a space where people are people spend just as much time online as they do like in the real world mm. um yeah like people are spending eight hours a day on social media, right? So you have like your real being and then you have like how people see you or perceive you on, on social media. And I think we entering into an age where people, how people are perceived on social media is starting to supersede how they feel about real life. So it's mm. like a person doesn't mind being bummy in real life if they could be popular in social media Literally. and in the metaverse ultimately, right? Yeah. So it's like, um, I think in the next few years, we'll really be in a space where like people will buy clothing digitally to dress up their character. Mm. And I think like a status um, symbol type set. It's all about status. Right, right. It'll be like a, it'll be like a real life AP is a hundred is, you know, a real life AP is 80 grand, but an NFT of an AP might be eight grand. Yeah. Yeah. And if your avatar has on an NFT of an AP, it means that you really spent eight grand yeah. on that. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so it's like, you know, they made 50, they made 5,000 of these watches in real life and they only made 5,000 NFTs. So if I'm on, if I'm in like a metaverse space and I bump into you and you got it on, it's like, oh, he really spent five grand on a digital watch. Yeah, literally. And it's still a flex. 
because yeah, we're all there with the watchroom. You know what I'm saying? I think, yeah, it's going to be a lot of ways that it gets implemented. Uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting, interesting yeah. step forward. That's for sure. I, yeah, man, that's insane. I can't wait to see what you guys come out with. That's really exciting. Yeah, we're um, excited. I do have one thing that I wanted to touch on, and um, it is a little bit controversial, um, but I've been dying to ask you this question. Um, I read an article that a lady from Vogue came after you, and I really wanted to hear your side of it. Uh, so I don't know if that... So, so basically, the, uh, you're talking about when I was, I was like, yeah, so I was snapping on a lady from Vogue. So basically, I guess what happened is, you know, I cut up, I cut up Birkins and I cut up yep. LV stuff. So I guess um, this woman does like, I don't even know if she works specifically for Vogue, um, but I think she does like reviews that gets posted in Vogue. Like she does like bag reviews. Yeah. And basically she, she, uh, because she does bag reviews, people tagged her and sent her my work and was like, what do you think of this? Right. So she says it's fake. Right. So she's like, you know, a lot of people are sending me this bag, these bags and it's horrible. It's disgusting. I don't like them. They're fake. Right. What? So I don't say anything. I'm like, she's entitled to her opinion. I'm not mad at it. So then people then, people who follow me or who understand my work, they didn't go on to like try to explain to her why it's not fake. They're like, well, it's not fake, Louis. He actually uses Louis Vuitton. Mm. You know, he buys the Louis Vuitton from Louis Vuitton. He buys the hardware from Hermes and Hermes. And then he cuts it up and he makes um, items that you can't buy specifically from him. So she's like, don't matter, it's fake. LV's not selling it, Hermes is not selling it, it's fake. Um, and I'm still okay with that. So then she goes further and she starts to say, like, uh, just starts to kind of like attack me. So I'm so then I, I I step in and I'm like, you know, she like he's not a real you know, she starts to attack me. She says he's not a real designer. Oh. This is an Hermes design. No he doesn't way. Design anything. Um, so she's like, it's Louis Vuitton material and the Hermes design. He's not a designer. Like he doesn't have any skills like, or he doesn't have, he's not a good designer because he can't design on his own. So then I tell her like, you know, people who follow me know that I actually can design. Like I design things. So the thing with the Birkin, I never wanted to do a Birkin. It was actually a custom request from one of my clients to make them a Birkin. Um, because the thing with me, the synthesis of the things I make were always, using their material to make my designs. Mm. Yeah. The Birkin was me using their material and their design, but to show that I could make a bag by hand that was just as good as a Birkin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So as I want to showcase the art artisanal talent that, cause you know, they say it's only um, a handful of people who can actually hand make a Birkin. Yeah. So I actually wanted to show that I'm capable of hand making a Birkin, oh, right? So cool. that was the goal there, not to showcase my 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 design talent. So I'm telling her like, if you go on my page and you look like, I have completely new designs, like things that no one has ever done before that I like designed from scratch. I'm like, so for you to undermine that and say, but by then, I think she was already in a bag of defending herself because my followers had found that and they started attacking her. So when I talked to her. 
She was like, ah, that's bullshit. Da, 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 da. So I'm like, yeah, where are you from? She like, I'm from um, Hong Kong. So I'm like, uh, you know, do you even know anything about, I'm like, it's not up to you. And she's like, it's not fashion. She's like, that's not fashion. And I'm like, what is it? Is it fashion? Isn't up to you. Literally. I'm like, fashion is something that's created that impacts that people didn't participate in and wear. I'm like, I've made stuff for Billie Eilish. Are you saying she's not fashionable? Mm. You know, I've made stuff for Drake, Chris Brown, Rihanna. Are you saying they're not fashionable? Like you don't get to decide what fashion is. Yeah. You're a reporter. Your job is to report on what's going on in the fashion industry. Yeah. So for you to sit here and try to deny that I'm impacting the fashion industry means that you're not a good reporter because any good reporter should be unbiased. You should just be reporting on the facts. And the fact is that what I do is impacting the fashion industry and, and everybody is participating in it. It's not up to you to say what it is and what it isn't. It's yeah. up to you to figure out what's going on. I'm like, and if you look at what's going on in the youth, I'm not the only person cutting up designer stuff. I'm not the only person repurposing things to make other things. So, um, you know, I, I just kind of got upset because for a long time, I feel like Vogue didn't post my work because they felt, you know, they felt a way about it. Like mm. it's times when Vogue will post my work, but not tag me. In it. Or it's times when GQ will post my work and not tag me in it. Right. And it was like, they know that what I'm doing has impact, but they don't want to give me credit, right? And I, I get it because, you know, obviously Louis Vuitton spends a lot of money advertising with them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I don't just know how many millions of dollars LV spends every year advertising with Condé Nast, which owns GQ and yeah. Vogue. You know what mm. I'm saying? So, yeah, I, I just felt like it was just a moment. I kind of went at her like, you got me you got me fucked up like because <laughs> i have more impact on fashion than you have you know what i'm saying it's like she shouldn't be reporting on judgment and people they they quick to write on billy eilish and talk about how stylish she is and how all the kids are following her but they don't even realize that billy eilish most of her followers the way she became relevant in the fashion community is by wearing like cut up lv yeah. wearing cut up gucci buying things from like different designers who were like repurposing these designs and wearing bigger boxy style clothes, which come from like street culture. Mm. And it's like, you, you like Billie Eilish now, but you don't understand her plight or how she got to where she is now. It's like, so yeah. you don't really, you don't really know. Like you're not a part of the culture. Yeah. It's like, you can't come in and judge what's going on in the culture. If you're not a participant in the culture. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're just looking at an end product and just passing judgment. It's like you knowing nothing about basketball and then coming to a game and having like all this commentary, but you don't even know the rules. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I kind of spazzed on her for that, but it's so, like, so kind of like a big fuck you, mic drop, see you later, I'm done. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> the thing for me, I think with social media, I don't really need that publicity. Like mm. it's great when you get it because you know, me growing up when I grew up is always like, a symbol of success is like, oh, I'm in this magazine that I grew up seeing on my coffee table or, mm. you know, I'm in an industry and the leading publication in that industry is acknowledging my work. So it feels good. But at the same time, my following and my support is is with the people. You know what I'm saying? So if I go on my comments and I got a thousand comments of people telling me that they love my work and, you know, I got I get more comments on the post than those publications <laughs> there <laughs> you, know, you go it's like I get more engagement than they do so how can they tell me you know so i'm with the people yeah
That's sick. Have you ever been like really... Has anything actually bad happened from cutting up any Louis Vuitton or, or, or any other bags? Have you ever got any like... Have they ever reached out and gone like, what are you doing? <laughs> nah, to be honest, like some of my colleagues, like other people who do the same thing, like I know they've been sent cease and desist. Yeah. I've never been sent to cease and desist from LV. Um, and I think most of it comes because I don't make things in bulk quantities. Um, I think another thing is like, you know, they know I'm, I'm buying, I'm, I'm definitely buying the materials. Yeah. I'm using all authentic materials. I'm not making anything that they already make. I'm making like original designs. So I think, I don't know. I know a few other people who've been sent cease and desist, um, but uh, uh, like a year ago, they did tell me I couldn't shop there no more. I think I spent <laughs> almost I spent almost a million dollars on Louis Vuitton. And they're That's just like, you can't shop guy. there anymore. That's it. Yeah, they put me on the do not shop. Um, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I bought too many um, of the garment bags. Like they have like a garment bag. You, you familiar with the garment bag? Yeah, so well, you got a limit. Yeah, the, the garment bag is probably has the most material for the buck, right? So for like seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars, you get a nice size garment bag. You can use it to make like a couple items out of. So I started buying a garment bag. I literally bought like hundreds of them. So you know, I think a manager at one of the stores, because I'm cool with all the sales reps, because they make you know they they love when I come in. They know I'm gonna buy a bunch of stuff. Mm. And I guess a manager at one of the stores, like, they was like, my manager seen that, how many um, garment bags you bought and they flagged your account. Because I'll literally be like, oh, how many do they have in the Rodale store? 10, I need all of them. How many do they have in the Santa Ana store? 12, I need all of them. How many do they have in the Miami store? I need all of them. So, uh, I, right. so then when I bought all the garment bags, now I'm trying to buy all the duffel bags. <laughs> then when I bought the duffel bags, I'm trying to buy... And you know they like when you whenever you buy like that many of a singular item, it draws a red flag. But because the sales reps like me, I got it off for a long time. But in Europe, I still could buy it. <laughs> so then I just start buying it globally. Yeah, there's ways around. I'm in Japan, in Europe, trying to buy all the bags. Yeah, Jesus. I'm but I think I got a good. It's crazy because you know they got different departments. Because like um, LV has invited me to different events. While I'm on the do not shop list, I'll get invited to different <laughs> events. This yeah, is weird. I've been to fashion shows, That's LV so fashion weird. shows, but meanwhile, I'm on the do not shop list in America. Literally, surely so when you're at the show, you gotta get in with somebody and be like, "Man, just take the name off the list, cut it out, let me in." Right, like when I'm at the show, a lot of the designers. When I go to the Louis Vuitton store anywhere in the world, or if I go to the LV show. A lot of people recognize because they're like, you know, reps are like, we've had people come in here with that 1942 bottle holder picture and ask who we sell that. Yeah. So a lot of the sales reps are like, yeah, I know you because people have come in asking us, do we sell your product? And we're like, nah. <laughs> well, they need to hire you. So a lot of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad at it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, definitely open, I'm definitely open to working. Um, with Louis Vuitton. Definitely. That'll be, that'll that be dope. I mean, Gucci did it with Dapper Dan. So. Literally. Wow. Well, Gucci did a licensing deal with Dapper Dan. It would be cool to do a licensing deal with LV or even, you know, help with some some design. Mm. That'd be pretty, pretty badass. 
I like it. So to just touch back on something that we spoke about before, what, what would be some of the things you would avoid um, when starting out in the industry? Things I would avoid. I think me personally, like I had a moment of feeling like, uh, so I had a huge following, right? And huge creative following. A lot of the brands was following me and I would post my work. And I feel like I had this moment of feeling like people were stealing my ideas. Like, uh, it was like, I'm doing this and this brand is stealing my ideas. Like I see their design was following me. And I started going on rants of like, oh, this company's stealing my idea. This person's stealing my idea. Um, I still battle with that. I have days where I'm like, you know, I don't want to own any idea. I feel like once I deliver the idea into the world, it's for the world because it may be some 16 year old who sees my idea and makes something that changes the world mm. using my idea as a, as a foundation. But then I might get bothered if I feel like a company is like copying my idea without accrediting me. Um, yeah. But a few years ago, I really went into like, I've really felt away and I stopped posting my creations. I started to like block people and unfollow people. And I feel like I had like a really bitter moment mm -hmm. for like a year straight. I was like really bitter. If I could take back that bitter year, I think I would take it back and just accept that as, you know, it, it's, um, when Rihanna gets a tattoo, right. And it's like cool placement, cool tattoo. She's such an inspirational figure that a lot of people then say like, I want to get a tattoo like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's an honor to be in the place that Rihanna is in where people actually want to get a tattoo like yours. It's more of like a tribute. Mm. Um, so I think now that I, I see it like that, rather than me being so bitter or angry that people are like using my ideas or building on my ideas to create their own ideas, I think I'm more appreciative of it. Yeah. Um, so if I could, if I could take back that moment, I would, um, yeah, don't get too caught up in trying to protect yeah. what you mm. think is your like uh but everything like I I've been let a lot of in the last year I've let like a lot of things go because I feel like you could become a slave to the things that you try to like protect. Like I have to make sure this is good and I have to make mm. sure this is good. And then you become like overwhelmed with the idea of trying to like protect everything that you believe to be yours. And as a creator, that really like anchors you down. For me, now I'm like just free. Like a lot, a lot of the time I'm like in a hotel or Airbnb. I don't feel, I still own some things. I own a bunch of stuff, but I'm not anchored down by the idea that I have to protect them at all times. Like yeah. I just wake up free and I like, you know, just move through through life freely. You know, like um, I'm not thinking about, there's nothing holding me back from being That's creative. Awesome. So that's a new space that I'm in. So I, I feel like this new space, I'm a lot more creative. I'm a lot more free. So if I could go back, I would take this mindset on a lot earlier. Yeah. Because mm. I think I aged, man. I aged 10 years in the last four years. <laughs> <laughs> Just with the stress of trying to like protect. Yeah. You know, yeah. Do you feel you've like tried to protect more than you have created in the last four years? Like, if you feel like that's where like all the stresses stem from, you just so like, I want it. This is all my stuff. Like, 
that and then that and then a lot of the stress comes from like orders yeah i think um when you're trying to start a company right like like all right it's like this i've tried to start a company and i've created like been like okay i'm gonna start i'm gonna make a thousand pieces yeah and then sell the thousand pieces right so i try to get prepared i make a thousand pieces and then i put it up for sale and i sell five so now the stress becomes that I put all my money into this and now I have 995 that I can't sell, right? So then you have this other way of doing it where it's like, I'm going to create one, I'm going to start selling them and then I'm going to try to get orders, right? Yeah. So that way I don't have as much overhead and as much waste. Yeah. So the second time around, that was my approach. It was like, I would create something and then I would try to generate sales and then that started working but it started working too good because now it's like you know i have six months worth of orders and i don't have the business i don't have my um back end in place to be able to catch up on these orders so it's like yeah i've been six months behind on orders for the last three years <laughs> Shit. literally literally that's a real thing like it's times where i'm like i'm six months behind on orders because I've, I've never had an opportunity to catch up and that's why like i was i spent the last year in istanbul was really building out this manufacturing facility because i would do custom orders can you imagine having like 400 custom orders like 400 custom orders literally all different you know? yeah like all different 400 custom orders and it's only me and three guys that's that's full on that's insane. so like that 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 was like very stressful and then i had two of my guys um i had let a woman i had introduced a woman into my business and she you know she did some underhanded and ended up poaching like two of my sewers and what? hiring them to work for her so yeah it was deep so I, it was like around holidays and i think i went Yeah, I was I had 400 orders and two of my best sewers left to go work Fuck. somewhere. And I was just like, it was very stressful because you know my clients, I have like celebrity clients. Yeah. I have your names on the line. All these different clients, like and like you know, they call and like, where's my stuff? It's almost Christmas. I was you supposed to make this for my husband, you supposed to make this for my wife. And I, you know, me going back to that integrity part standing on my word i don't want to let people down yeah. you know what i'm saying but it's a, it's a place where like i it's nothing i could do there's yeah. nothing i could do and i drove myself crazy for for months like that was probably one of the most stressful years of my life and now i have everything back together like right now i have a um i partner with a man um i partner with a manufacturer we have a partnership and we have over now you know, we have over 400 employees. So Jeez. now that we're capable of actually like, you know, putting in work on a global scale. So now, you know, when I get the order for 5,000 pieces, you know, yeah. we can knock out 5,000 pieces. So I'm ready for this next chapter. That's exciting. You know, so I'm pivoting away from all the customs. Yeah. Getting more into like, you know, global distribution. Yeah, so that's clearly what's next for you. Your, your next thing is trying to steer away from customs so much and global distribution is key. Yeah, I think I'm going to always do some customs because it's just like I enjoy doing it. Yeah. Um, but the, the goal is to uh, create a product that's more readily available, um, a product that more people could touch. Yeah. 
while also simultaneously keeping in mind that we want to be as sustainable as possible. So still creating like a, a high quality product, still will have like my um, DNA in every product that's created. Yeah. But I do want, you know, for you to be able to go to your favorite store and see things that I've created in person and be like, oh, this is cool. I want to buy one. Yeah. You know? More of a global impact. Where like the old business model, we would never be able to do that because I can't even catch up on orders let alone make enough where we can send out to stores yeah yeah around the world for sure yeah I, um, so i think this, this year you'll start to see a lot of my products in like you know top-notch retail part like we're choosing retail partners that we want to work with that'll carry the brand that's yeah, awesome nice. it's exciting one thing i did want to find uh, well yeah I, I wanted to ask what do you reckon the most unique piece you've made is mm. cloud collection that bag oof I don't know, because this is so all over the place. Like, my one of my favorite pieces, I feel like, is the Mickey. Yeah, that's like, sick. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like I'm going I'm to infringe on this Mickey IP, and I'm going to infringe on this LV IP. <laughs> make this new thing. Like, it's like, a, it's like a vandal. It's like, I'm going to bomb this train tonight. I know yeah. I could get in trouble for it, but fuck it. Um, You're like the Banksy of the fashion industry. I, yeah, minus the fact that my, my dumb ass decided to show my face and post <laughs> clout. Oh. oh, well, I'm sure it's paid off somehow. Far out. I oh. love it. I should have took a Banksy approach. That would have been fire and I showed my face. So yeah. You can imagine like just going into all this but never showing my face. That's smart. Mm. I'm, I'm fascinated with that. So I love Banksy. <laughs> He's cool. I would love to collab with Banksy. That would be crazy. That would be fucking sick. Yeah. Well, you, you never know. He could be listening. It might reach out. That'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I don't know, Mickey. And then you got like stuff where it's just like really like, so it's funny because some of the stuff that goes crazy is just me fucking off. Like the uh, <laughs> the 1942 bottle holder. <laughs> oh, you went through a stage where yeah. you drank so much of that stuff, man. That was sick. <laughs> there was some parties there. I was it like, was fuck. Funny. It was really just like a funny gift. It's like you drink so much 1942, we're going to put it in a Louis Vuitton holder for you to wear when you're out so everybody knows. And then it was like, you know, it's like then you have like a 100 people like, how much? I need that. And I'm like, really? Buy these? I thought it was like, a, like it was just me just messing around. It's the same thing with the mask. Like I had made a mask just messing around in 2018 before COVID ever hit. I remember that. And the Louis who would have thought that like COVID would hit? Yeah, Louis mask in mm. 2018. COVID would hit. And I post that mask and like thousands of people now are like, yo, I need that mask. I need that mask. It's like, wow. But the mask originally, it was just made from like scraps. Like not a joke, but just messing around. Like I'm going to just make a mask today, you mm. know? And then that mask thing went like super viral, like super viral, like so many people. And then they, they ended up you know, I'm all over the world because you know they bootleg that mask. Mm. So like, any all over the world, I see like bootleg versions of my mask. It's the same exact silhouette, same placement of the LV, and they just copied it. That's yeah. it. Well, that's pretty cool though when you think about it. People have literally made knockoffs of your knockoff stuff that you've done from just scraps. That's <laughs> yeah, unreal. Think, yeah. Same with Mickey. Like Mickey. You could Google like Louis Vuitton Mickey and a bunch of like knockoffs of mine pop up. They even put my initials on the knockoff. <laughs> my, the Mickey has like an SB on the chest. The knockoff also has an SB on the chest. Oh, that's pretty wow. fucking sick when you think about it. 
Oh shit. It's pretty decent. Well, yeah. I might end with one last question. What's something that you would like to leave like the listeners with? Just a little it could be anything. Advice, it could be like something you're doing next, it could be anything at all. One more time, it broke up in the middle. Just what's something you'd like to leave the listeners with? Where it could be advice or anything. I want to say something prolific. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll edit out the short pause there that's fine <laughs> um i don't know i think with follow your dreams yeah. like if you have a dream follow it and i think um the thing that i'm living by right now is like you know don't work for money work to fulfill your purpose and uh you know, try to live your dreams. I feel like we, we're in a time right now where you can literally live out your dreams. You could be whatever you want to do and it's up to you to make that conscious decision to do it. So yeah. uh, I'm, I feel like I'm walking proof. Like I said, I grew up in a household where I made, my mom raised five of us on $6,500 a year, That's you know, crazy. and now I can sell a bag for $6,500. So it's like, if you have a dream and you stick to it and you never give up, it'll you can make it a reality. So I think that's, I'm, I feel like I'm walking proof of that. Literally, uh, living proof, so my friend. Like you have an idea, stick with it, push through, don't give up, make your dream your reality. There we go. There's the ending note. Turning dreams into it. reality. Done. Absolutely. Nah, I really appreciate your time. That was that was that yeah, was really thank you good. So much. I loved every part of that. That was so good. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I just be running on and running on. I shouldn't have drank coffee. I drank some coffee before this. So I'm like... <laughs> I had a shot before this. I was freaking out. I was like, far out. I've got to calm down. We've got to have a shot. Yeah, got home from work, had a rum. Just need to wind down. Shit. Where y'all, y'all, what, what kind of, you are in the, um... Australia. We're in Australia. Okay. Yeah. I love Australia. I will have to yeah, see. Hey, man, welcome anytime. Come down. They not letting nobody it. leave Australia. They, they like. Can you leave yet? No, I'm not yet. Not yet. No. End of December, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Australia. It, de- it depends. Literally, like you can't leave no. the country. Like you can't. Leave. It's crazy. I don't know if you sign like a handwritten letter, being like Shane and Kai need to leave Sharon Barber to the PM. He might let us go. You never know. <laughs> we'll see. He might let us go to Milan. <laughs> Shit. Waiting for them to open them borders up. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, um, I haven't been to Australia. There you go. It's Man, the only... You will love it. As soon as they open them borders up, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> well, done. Well, either way, I'll come. I'll come to Italy, mate. Done. Yeah. We'll come hey, to we'll a podcast there, in no person. Worries. Episode two, podcast in person. Yeah. For Let's sure. do it. Done. Let's do it. Done. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sharon. I really appreciate that. That was amazing. I right, appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. thank you. I appreciate it. You have a great day. Always. Right, see ya.